We'll open up to Matthew chapter 14. If you need a Bible, there's a few back on that table over there. We're going to start at verse 22. And this was a, a interesting passage for me as I was going over it. Uh, I don't know if it's just where I'm at, but some of the things that stood out to me um, made a powerful impact on me. I hope they do the same for you. It starts off in verse, well, let's read verse 22 to 33, and then we'll go over the text together. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you and w on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and begins to sink. Beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This passage that we're looking at starts off with the word immediately, and we see immediately two other times throughout the passage. The immediately here that he's speaking about is talking about what had just taken place, what Mike talked about uh, last week, how Jesus had fed the 5,000 with just the, the few loaves and the few fishes given from a small boy. And, and this is connected to even a, a further event that takes place earlier in chapter uh 14, where Jesus hears of John the Baptist, his cousin, who was beheaded. And Jesus starts to leave that area and starts to go for a place, gets in a boat to try and go off someplace to find solitude, but the multitudes heard that he was traveling, and so they followed him. So he didn't really get his quiet time. Instead, he was greeted by 5,000 people. Ever have those times when you're expecting to relax and then your kids bring five people over and they're all hungry and want to stay up till four in the morning? It's kind of like that, but multiply it by, you know, 5,000 or so. And so Jesus is wanting to get off by himself, but there's a multitude there. He does the miraculous. He feeds them. And then after he feeds them and he's done, immediately... He made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. It's interesting that it says he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. He forced them to. It's like, get out of here, guys. It's like kicking the kids out of the house. You got to go now. 
made them. And I wonder what was happening with them. Would you want to leave Jesus after he just fed 5,000 people? I'd want to stick around. I mean, not just because this is a meal ticket. This is amazing. This is incredible. Jesus has done something, and he says, you guys need to go on now. And I can imagine them saying, no, Lord, we'll stay here with you. No, he made them get on the boat and go away. Do you ever feel like the Lord does that with you in your life? I want you to move forward. Lord, show me where we're going to go. Go before me, God. No, I want you to go. Nor I'll just wait for you, Lord. Wait for you to, to open the door or window. I don't care which. Just open something. Go before me, Lord. I'll follow you. And he just seems to be saying, I need you to go. You need to move forward. And then it seems like, He's not there. I think sometimes life can feel like that. Why would Jesus send me ahead and stay behind? Why, why would he do this? Especially as we see later on, there's going to be this storm and this wind and rain that's buffeting them with the waves. But Jesus sends them ahead. And I think many times in our lives, we find ourselves in that place where we feel like we're alone, like Jesus has sent us off and he's not with us. And we can wonder, why? Why would you do that, Lord? Well, we see what happens with Jesus. He finally gets his alone time. After he dismissed them in verse 23, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Finally got some alone time. Had to send them off. I remember when the kids were small, they used to always want to stay up. One more TV show. One more commercial. No, not yet. They would pretend to be asleep so that they could stay longer. And you'd see their eye open up and close. open up, And you know they're not asleep, but they just want to stay out there. But sometimes you're just like, I just want you to go to bed. Jesus finally gets this time alone. And as he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray, I was wondering, what did this look like? I so wish we had a, a, a recorder and a video camera for these kinds of moments to just hear what took place. Because what did Jesus need to pray about? What did Jesus need to do? And, and then it, it's kind of haunting because if Jesus had to go to pray, why don't I more often? Jesus was Jesus. He didn't need to pray, but he apparently did. And the word pray has with it, the word supplication, which means to, to humbly entreat or ask. It also has within it the idea of worship. And so it encompasses more than just asking something. It also has to do with just giving worth to or giving worship to God. And so when Jesus is praying, you can imagine that he is not only going before God, but he is giving honor to God and he is spending time with God. Remember, the whole reason he wanted to get away in the first place is because he just found out his cousin was beheaded. 
There was just this traumatic event that took place that no doubt affected him emotionally because we know he was a man. He was moved like we are. And so having heard this news that no doubt has impacted him, he wanted to get off probably having to to deal with this, to filter through this, (laughs) and just be able to get through this. And for him to get through it effectively in the right way, he needed to go to a place by himself and to pray. It was a place by himself that enabled him to quiet his own soul, to be able to take all the the questions, I imagine, all the thoughts that were going on and be able to have those now Go back in sync with what God is doing and what God is wanting. And sometimes I think prayer is less asking of God, but just realigning our lives with God so that God's influence can once again give us peace. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, bring your requests before the Lord. And the peace that is beyond our ability to understand will guard our hearts and minds. And so prayer is not just asking, it's settling down in the knowledge of who God is and what God is about. And so Jesus takes time to pray. And again, that's just an intriguing thing that Jesus would go to pray. And I I just wonder, why? Why did he have to go to pray? I know why I should pray. I don't know why I don't pray as often as I do. But I know why I should. But why would Jesus need to? But he did. And once again, we're seeing that there's something going on inside of him that required him to continually be hearing from God in the will of God, an example for us to follow in, that we should do the same thing. And now, cut to the scene while Jesus is on the mountain, solitude, everything's going really peaceful, and and he's having this quiet time with God. Change scene, back to the boat, back to the disciples. Here we go, scene change. Verse 24, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, we don't use the word buffeted that much. I, at least I don't. Anyone use the word buffeted? My idea of buffeted is buffet, you know, and that's not a bad thing, you know. It's buffeted. Yeah, let's go to the China buffeted. And so my idea of buffeted is wrong, or maybe you buff out your car and polish it, you know, and it's like, that's not a bad thing. We're going to buff the boat. It'll just be polished. But this word actually has to do with torment, being tormented. The, the boat was being tormented by the waves. Have you ever been on a boat and been tormented by the waves? Joe, you probably have, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's I remember going to Catalina one time and we rented this small boat, I don't know, 20 footer or something like that. We were going to Catalina and I started feeling a little bit nauseous and so I did what you're not supposed to do. I went down inside this little place and lay down. 
and I was being tormented. Every little, I was like, oh, I was turning green, just constantly being buffeted, you know. And finally I said, no, you got to come out and get some water in your face and get some air. And I started to feel better. But that whole idea of just being tormented is this just uneasiness, the sickness, this what's going to happen now? You can't rest because you're being buffeted back and forth. The waves are there. And so here is Jesus who sent us out here without him. He's up in the mountain praying. We're out here being buffeted. Life ever feel like that for you guys? Like, Lord, where are you? Oh, I know you're out there praying. I know things are, you know, okay in your perspective. But for me, it's torment. Have you ever been just tormented by life? And you feel like you're just being buffeted. It's just pounding you. And what goes on at those times and you wonder... Lord, where are you? And you start to wonder, oh, you know, I knew I should have done this, or I knew I shouldn't have trusted this, or I knew I shouldn't have done this. I can imagine them. I knew we shouldn't have left Jesus. We shouldn't have left him. If Jesus was here with us right now, you know, he could do something about this. How are we going to catch up with Jesus later? He's going to be walking all around. Are we even going to make it in time? How are we going to find Jesus? What are they thinking? What's going on? They're just this torment and uneasiness. We should have waited. But he made us go. Why would he make us go to be out here in this torment? Why would God do something like that to us? Why would God allow me to be tormented, to be buffeted? I think we've asked that question in one form or another. I know I have. God, why? What, what's the reason for this? I, I don't understand. I don't get it. And I second guess myself and I start thinking what I should have done. What? Oh, it's my fault because I did this. Or if I wouldn't have done this, this wouldn't have happened. And I'm torment myself, even though the situation is already still tormenting me. We second guess and we third guess and we give up. But often the way that God desires to show up is actually a bit more troubling than even the circumstances that we find ourselves in, which is exactly what happens here. Because you know the story. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. You ever wondered, why is he doing this? Why does Jesus... This is one of those miracles where... I wonder motive. All the other, you know, healing, I get. Yeah, the person was sick. That person was dead. Yeah, they were hungry. I, I get all those miracles, but what about this one? It just strikes me as a little bit spectacular. Huh, here come, I think I'll go walk on the water. It, it's little, you know, showboating almost that comes across. When I was a kid, I used to try and run across the water. You guys ever do that? You get running as fast as you can on a swimming pool, and you know, you don't go far, but you just have this idea that if you could just move your feet, you can at least get a few feet out there, and no, you can't do it. 
But here comes Jesus walking on the water. Now, I've always had it in my mind, maybe it's from paintings I've seen, that the sea is really calm, and Jesus is kind of just skating, but it wasn't. It was rough, which made it more interesting, because now here comes Jesus walking on the water, and I'm just wondering, why are you doing this? Because you're not just doing it to show off. Look what I can do. I'm the son of God. I can walk on water. That's not who he is. That's not what he does. He's doing this for a reason. And I don't think his reason is, look at you guys too can walk on water if you're like me. I don't think that's the point. You know, we haven't seen too many people walk on water since then. Anyone? Not me either. So what's going on here? And I think what happens is what's going on here. What what starts to unfold here. This whole passage just fills me with so many thoughts and questions. Why would he do this? And then as he does this, they're freaked out. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. You would too. I would too. This just isn't what I'm expecting to see. Someone on the water walking towards the boat, it would shake you. It would trip you out. It would make you think something weird is going on here. And you would be terrified and you would scream out in fear too. I'm betting you would. If I saw Jesus walking down the street, I'd freak out. Let alone walking on the water. And, And so... Here he comes to them, and they're freaking out, and immediately, there it is again, he said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Jesus is constantly trying to speak courage into our fears. And you see, when he's speaking courage, he isn't changing their emotion. What he is doing is telling them, don't let your emotion overtake you, but overcome your emotion. Because that's what courage is, is the ability to not be controlled by emotion. That's why they can run into a burning building. Why? Because they're not afraid. No, they're terrified, but they're not allowing that fear to hold them back. And so they run towards what would be dangerous And that's courage. So it's not the absence of fear, but it's the absence of control of fear. And so when they're afraid, he tells them, you need to take courage. Don't be afraid. And so he speaks courage into their fear. And then this is where it really, again, just trips me out. Because if you think this is a ghost, and you're trying to find out if it really is Jesus or not, what proof would you ask for? We'd probably ask for some theological proof. If you're really Jesus, recite to me the Shema of Israel. I want to make sure you're really Jesus. Recite to me this passage of Scripture so that I know you know what the Scripture says. Or, or tell me some interesting fact. You remember the other day when we were sitting down eating? What did we have for lunch? You know, I'd want to know something like that. I would want to know some kind of information that only Jesus knew. 
I would want some kind of evidence that was proof to me that this wasn't some spiritual evilness going on. I would want something that would maybe even change my fear. I mean, let's face it, what was taking place right now? They were being tormented by the waves. So I might even say, if you're really Jesus, can you stop this, please? Stop the the rattling of the boat. Stop the shaking. Stop the torment. Stop this buffeting and what's going on. If you're really Jesus, just make it stop. And isn't that kind of how we think things are supposed to be? Jesus, when you show up, make my life better. It's kind of our tendency. It's that, okay, Jesus, heal. Okay, Jesus, provide the money. Okay, Jesus, make my kids good. Okay, Jesus, make life better. That's your job, Jesus. That's kind of our mindset. Make things easy. Stop the waves. Stop the torment. If you're really Jesus, make this stop. After all, I'm now one of your followers. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Perform some kind of miracle. Help me to be secure. Or Jesus, just get in the boat and travel like the rest of us. Why do you have to do this? Why do you have to shake things up? Why do you have to freak me out? Can't you just do things the way I'm used to doing? Get in the boat, travel with us to the other side. But what do you have to do this for? Why don't you do things the way I expect you to? I don't expect you to come walking on the water. It makes me uneasy. In fact, it terrifies me. And so we want Jesus to conform to us. But what Peter does here just... Really what it does is makes me feel ashamed because it's not what I would even entertain to ask. And I wonder, why did he? Peter says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. What would make him do something like that? What would make him say, Lord, if it's really you, get me to come over to you. Why would he ask that? And I wonder, what was Jesus' response when Peter said that? See, I just got this idea that he just beamed inside. I think he just like, yeah, come. And he told him to come. You see, but what Peter is doing is he's saying, Lord, if it's really you, then make me able to do what I can't do. Lord, if it's really you, make me be able to do the miraculous. Make me to be able to do what you're doing. Make me be able to be more than what I can be just by myself. Lord, if it's really you, do something in me that's spectacular like you. Why would he think that? 
because he's been traveling with Jesus. And that's all that Jesus has been doing. That's what Jesus has been pulling out of them. He's been showing them how to be more like him. That was the whole idea of a rabbi. You follow him. You become like him. If you're my rabbi, then tell me to come follow you. And if it's really you, you'll make it so that I can. I never would have thought to ask that. I would have been the other disciple in the boat saying, come on, get inside. You know, I wouldn't even think to go out there. I don't like going out where it's all wet and it's scary and I've never been before. But the nerve and the faith that says, if it's you, tell me to come out. I wonder how many times we're asking the Lord to get in the boat and he's waiting for us to ask him to come out. Where we're wanting him to conform to us and he's waiting for us to ask that he would allow us to be more like him. And you guys know the story. He says, come, verse 29, then Peter goes down out of the boat walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. That is just amazing. But then what happened? What happened next, you guys? What, you know the story. What happened? Why? What, what happened? It says he saw the wind. How do you see wind? Remember, the waves were what was buffeting him, but it says he saw the wind. It was interesting. One commentary I even read where it said he saw the wind. It actually says, or more accurately, the effects. And I thought, more accurately? I thought that was a little interesting to say, well, more accurately, this is what he said. Well, no, I think it said what it said. I think that's as accurate as it should be. Because all it says is, and he saw the wind. I think this is a key to how we are to live our lives. Do we move towards Jesus or do we expect Jesus to move towards us? And Jesus asks us to move to a place where we are going to have to believe in the things that cannot be seen. We are going to have to trust into the visible, our lives into the invisible hand of God to do a work with us. And you see, it doesn't matter where you go. If you go to Mexico, if you go to Haiti, or if you go to Upland, if you don't follow Jesus, but you ask Jesus to follow you, then you're going to be more harm than good to wherever you go. And so it doesn't matter if you want to be a missionary and you go to China, you go to Africa, whatever. If you go there and you're not following Jesus and you're expecting Jesus to follow you, it can be problematic. It could be defeating the purpose. You could be going and just be an obstacle. But I'm going. But are you really following Jesus, or are you expecting him, I'm going to go, Jesus, and this is what I'm going to do, and now follow me into my plan. This is how I'm going to do things. And I think we can do that often. I know I can and I think what needs to take place is we have to realize that what Christ does is he calls us out of the comfort of our boat 
into what is unstable and unsafe and tells us, take courage, don't be afraid. And he's actually waiting for us to do what Peter did. I I think this is the whole point of this story. It's not to prove that Jesus can walk on water. It's to prove that if we want, we can follow him into that area of the impossible. I don't think the water is the point. I think it is following him into what is impossible so that he can do the impossible with us. I I really think that's at the core of what he's trying to accomplish. So ask yourself right now, just thinking about that, what is impossible for you? What is the water that you just cannot walk on? What are the things that you keep sinking in? And what can you do to follow Jesus? Peter stepped out, he's walking on the water, and all of a sudden, I believe, he's entering into an experience that was different than any that he'd ever had, obviously because he's walking on water. But I think he's also seeing what faith in Jesus can really do. And we walk by faith and not by sight. But all of a sudden he saw the wind and he started to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And what's the word? Immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. I'm so glad that God immediately reaches out his hand. It might not seem like immediately. I'm sure Peter thought immediately was at the shins or the ankles, but immediately might have been more at the waist or the shoulders. I don't know. He might have all went all the way under. I, I don't know. But it was in time. And Jesus reached out and brought him up And he says, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And I just, again, I wish I had a picture of his face because whenever I say you or read you of little faith, I always think it's a a scolding. But I don't know if he was. What if he's just saying you of little faith? Why didn't you believe? You could have really just came out here with me, man. You were doing it. It's kind of like your kids when they're riding the two-wheel bike, you know, and you're doing it and they start freaking out and they crash into the neighbor's car across the street. (laughs) And you say, why'd you worry? You were doing good. You could have kept going. I just wonder, what was his manner when he said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Isn't that the way it always goes? It's like now that the problem's over, everything's settled down. When I needed you, when I was out in the water, when the waves were tormenting us, where were you, Jesus? But now you're here, everything's good. Okay, it just seems to go like that sometimes. Life is just those peaks and those valleys, those peaks. Everything's good, everything's bad. Everything's good, everything's bad. He gets in the boat, everything's good. But a while ago, it was really bad. We were being tormented. Where were you then? But finally, Jesus is back in the boat. I'm sure they say, where you belong, don't do that again. 
And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. And this kind of, I think, encapsulates the church as a whole. Those who are in the boat worship him. You see, Peter worshipped him in his actions. The others worshipped him in their observation. Peter actually got out of the boat and gave worth and credibility to who Jesus was. The other said, we see, we believe, we understand. And I think that's the same with us many times. I, I think we want to worship him in the boat, but we don't want to follow him out. We don't want to go to that place where it's going to be more difficult and it's going to cost us. It's where our faith is really tested and it's where we begin to follow him and do what we could not normally do. And Peter worshipped him with his actions while they worshipped him with his observation. And I wonder, what are we doing? How are we worshipping the Lord? Is it in the boat, in the comfort, where... Everything is secure? Or are we willing to go out? And when we start getting tormented, is our answer, Jesus, just get in the boat? Or, Lord, if it's really you, then ask me to come and follow you. Ask me to walk on the water. Ask me to do what I can't do. And have faith to trust you, that you are the one who I need. Keep my eyes, my focus on you. Have faith in you. Don't doubt you, but believe. And I think that that is at the core of what this passage is really trying to convey. Is that Jesus is asking us to come out. Jesus is asking us to follow him. Jesus is asking us to take a step into that area that's risky, that step into the area that's dangerous, to maybe get outside of our comfort zone. I was talking with some friends, and as we were dialoguing, the ideas and thoughts that came out, well, you know, I want a church that's going to provide these things for me and for my family. And I was listening to that and I was just hearing them talk about what they wanted, you know, the security they wanted for themselves, for them family. And I was thinking, okay, for some reason I was just having a hard time, but I didn't know what it was. And then today when I was looking at this passage, I was thinking, you know what, maybe God doesn't want all that bubble around you. Maybe Jesus is going to say, you know what, instead of having all these good things, why don't you come out into the waves? Why don't you, instead of having your church family over, why don't you invite your neighbors who aren't church family but have the motorcycles and the leather jackets and the big beards over? Well, that's kind of, that water's pretty rough out there. 
I've heard their their language is pretty salty and you know, I don't think I want that influence in my family. I'm not saying you should do that. Just what if the Lord's saying, come out, come out of your house. Come on. It's okay. Come out into your neighborhood. It's okay. Come out. But I think so many times we just know I want the good people to come in. And maybe the Lord is saying, no, you need to come out. Um, it was neat this week, uh, Corinne had sent me a text asking, she knows the lady who organizes the Relay for Life in June. And she asked if I would do the opening and closing prayer. And I thought, that sounds great. Yeah, I'd love to. And so I said, yes. It's the same weekend as the men's Highlander. So I'm figuring out how to walk on water. If I can be up in Big Bear and be down in Upland. Because I only have to be here twice at 9 a.m., Saturday morning and Sunday morning. But I said yes. And immediately after, I got an email from uh, Stacy, the lady who works at the parks. She goes, I'm so excited that you're going to be there. And I just thought, wow, how neat that is to be able to now have people who know us as a community and are glad that we're going to be a part of this event. And I don't know yet how I'm going to do the driving and be in two places at one time. That's just stepping out of the boat, walking on water, driving a few hundred miles um, back and forth, but that's okay. You know, I think it's good to step out of the boat. And I really feel like I need to do this. I think it's an important thing for me, for us as a community, to involve ourselves. We've been talking about being involved with the Relay for Life for a while. And, you know, this is just a step in that direction. But sometimes Jesus is calling us out. And the church mentality many times is to stay in. I'll just stay in the boat. Bring all those bad people in here. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to come out. And so I challenge us as a community to listen to the voice of the Lord and to step out of our comfort. I challenge us as individuals to see what areas we need to allow Jesus to bring us out and conquer in our lives? What areas of our lives do we need to say, it's impossible, Lord, I can't do this, and Jesus is saying, come out. What does God want to do that we have not let him do? And let's take courage, because Jesus once again speaks courage into our fear and then he speaks faith into our doubt. And that's what he wants to do for us. He wants to speak courage into those areas where we're afraid, and he wants to give us faith where we doubt that he can do anything. But I believe he can. And so let's take that step, and let's get out of the boat. Even if it's for a little while, it'll be a heck of a, heck of a time. Who knows, maybe we'll see the wind. Let's pray.
Father, we are grateful for this passage. I'm so thankful for how you've challenged and convicted me. I'm so not like Peter, and though we give Peter a hard time in so many ways through the passages where he seems to be always stumbling over his own words, Lord, he did something incredible here. He believed in you, enough to believe that you could make him walk on water. Lord, do I believe in you enough that you can make me the man or the woman that you want me to be? Do I believe in you enough that you can actually help me to do what is impossible for me to do? To speak courage into my fear, so much so that I would move even further into the danger, to step even further into that area of risk, even deeper into faith, that I would actually worship you outside of the boat and not just in it. Lord, thank you for this encouragement. I know it was good for me to hear. I pray it's helpful for all those who are here. And I pray that you would move us as a community, Lord, to again step outside, to be called out, to not be afraid of the storm, to not be afraid of the community, to not be afraid of the people, to not be afraid of the circumstances or the finances or the lack thereof or to not be hindered by those things that we see, but to be able to see the invisible, to trust in you in spite of those things. Lord, call us out, and may we be obedient and listen to your voice, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.